0: Good morning, church. In the words of our pastor, nothing says it's not about me than letting someone preach on Anniversary Sunday. So that's why you get me today. Um, But 65 years, um, man, that video is from a few years ago from our 60th anniversary, but all the stories still ring true. And um, man, I'm so grateful that God saved my grandma and saved my parents and brought them here and that I got to grow up here and Dallas was my first grade teacher, Um, and Teresa Weaver was my my K-5 teacher. I remember her teaching me about Jesus with felt, which is, you know, (laughs) sticks there. It worked, took a while, but it got there. Um, Man, and I remember Dave Sturgill was my second grade Bible study teacher, and he had to tell me that something I called another kid was a cuss word. So, um, (laughs) God is good, he uses everybody. So man, I'm, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm thankful that I grew up here and I feel special that I've been here more than half of those 65 years, my entire 34 years I've been a part of this church. And I'm thankful that I get to raise my son and my daughter in this church and they get to hear the gospel from some of the same people who taught it to me. And hopefully um, that the Lord saves them and grows them. And that, um, that's always my prayer for CJ especially. Um, is that he would be a better man than me, and that God would use him, and I hope i 'm just a stage, um, and that God would use that. I did not plan to cry so early. <laughs> Here we are. all right, so we 're going to continue in our series um, that you may know we 've been studying the book of first John, um, and if you have missed any of the sermons, I really recommend you go back and listen to them because it really lays a foundation um, it 's written to christians it 's written by the Apostle John, um, who was the disciple whom Jesus loved, one of his best friends on earth, writing to the church as a father, pleading with them. He, he has very black and white language. He says, if you don't think you're a sinner, you're a liar. Um, he says, today, what we're going to read is, if you love the world, you, you don't love the Father. Um, but today, as we dive into this, um, I'm excited and I'm convicted, so I'm preaching today from a spot of conviction and what the Lord has been teaching me this week. Um, so we're gonna dive right into it. So if you'll stand with me, we're gonna read 1 John 2, 15, 16, and 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of, the God, of God abides forever. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that today you would open our eyes to this truth. Um, help us to know that um, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And help us to know, Lord, that you are a good Father and you are love. And you are calling us to a way of life that looks different than the world, but it is promised Um, life to the full, satisfaction and joy and peace and happiness. So Lord, I pray that through your word and through your Holy Spirit, you would pierce our hearts and our souls and even mine, Lord, um, that you would speak through me. And Lord, that you would help us to trust you more today and help us to follow you more today than we did yesterday. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First thing that we need to do here in this passage is define what the world is. So in English, It's a tough language because there's words that mean multiple things. So the word world means multiple things. The world is planet Earth. The physical planet that we are on right now is the world. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And he's talking about people, the the humanity that inhabits the world. But here, what John is talking about when he's talking about the world is something else. And the world, I'm trying to define it as best I can. It's secular culture. The world is social norms or practices. The world is humanity in active rebellion against God. That's the world that we have, and that's what he's talking about. And it's been the same since the fall. Uh, in Romans 5:12, it says, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So since the first people, sin entered the world and death, which means as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2, the defilements of the world is what he called it. And then in in chapter one, verse four, he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. So we're told that from sin entered corruption, from sin entered death. And we all know, and we can all raise our hand if I had to ask you, has somebody sinned against you in your life? Has something happened to you that should not have happened to you? And we would all say yes, which is a testament to this this world is broken that this world is weak and that um, it needs saving. And so in this world, there's desires of the flesh, and we're gonna break these down. Desires of the flesh is the first thing that John talks about, and when we think of flesh, like this, what you see here is flesh. My body is my flesh, but what he's talking about is the desires that go along with it. And any time in the New Testament someone says flesh, it's always negative. It's always talking about fleshly desire, and here, In our body, we can really think of it as desires that are focused on self-gratification, that are focused on pleasure, that are focused on survival. So the big ones that pop into mind are sex, food, need for control. Those are these, these desires of the flesh that we all have inside of us. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. And if you wanna earmark it, we're gonna bounce around to Galatians 5 a lot because it parallels so well with this. But Paul tells us what these works of the flesh are. In verse 19, for the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. It's quite a list. It's quite a list of the desires of the flesh. And then he moves on to the desires of the eyes. And so this can be summed up as materialism, this can be summed up as the need for more stuff or the need for more stuff and the desire to look good in front of other people so that you are appealing to their eye and you're impressing them. It's jealousy, it's greed, it's all the things that we look at and say, I need that, I want that, I deserve that, desires of the eyes. Pride of life, power, fame, glory, status, wisdom, everything that this world offers to us. Um, And we all have, of these three desires that are in us, that are in the world, we all have different proportions of them, we are all human beings that have these desires. Um, Now is all desire bad? Absolutely not. We were created in the image of God with desires. Uh, Without sex, there wouldn't be people. Without hunger, we would starve to death. Uh, Without money, we couldn't buy clothes or pay our bills. So desires do help us to survive and to thrive. But as we'll talk about the world and the flesh, and again, it's in the negative connotation because it's corrupt and it's rebellious towards God. The pastor and author, John Mark Comer, summed this up pretty well, talking about sin. It says, ultimately we sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. And I've been thinking about that a lot, but that is really the baseline of all sin in our life is we're believing a lie about what will make us happy. And another reason John tells us not to love the world or the things in the world is a very big reason, but it's this, that the world is under the power of the devil. And just two more chapters in, in John 5:19 it says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Ephesians 2:2 2, 2, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. So it makes sense that if, if the world is anti-God, an act of rebellion against God, if, if it lies under the power of the devil, it makes total sense that it is in opposition to God. Satan is, it's called cunning and crafty. He's called a roaring lion seeking those he can devour. And the way he controls the world is through lies. Jesus says, man, he hold, held no punches with the religious leaders sometimes, but John 8, You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And this has started all the way as we go back to the fall from Adam and Eve. uh, Satan is tempting and using the same tactics then as he is using now, and it's through lies. So if we look at Genesis 3, And starts with the fall in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. I wanna stop and make a point here. As we talk about Satan, it says here, Satan was created. So as we talk about this and talk about our fight against the world, the flesh and the devil, Satan has lost. Satan has been defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. He is fighting as a wounded animal right now and one day he will be put away forever. So God is victorious. God is more powerful. We're told that he that is in you is more powerful than he that is in the world, caveat. Okay, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? So we'll see here that Satan works with lies when we're tempted. He starts by planning doubt. Did God actually say that you couldn't have that? Did he really say that? In verse two, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So he starts by planting doubt, and then he feeds us a lie. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. As we read the third chapter of the Bible, with the interaction with the first woman who ever lived, we can take comfort in the fact that the desires that Eve had were just said by John that we still fight against. And the tactics of Satan were the same then as they are now. Which means we can look at this and know, and look to Jesus and know that we have have hope in that. Because it looks familiar in verse six it says it was good for food desire of the flesh it was delight to the eyes those desires of the eyes and it desired to make one wise which was the pride of life and because we live in the world and that's another part of the world like as we look at our culture and we see things social norms change and we see some things happening and so you know more people do that because other people are doing it and we see that with adam and eve she took, the, took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he's like, well, I guess if she's doing it, I'll do it too. So he ate it. And John is commanding us Christians uh, to not love the world and warning us about its desires because at every moment we're being formed. At every single moment of our lives, we are being formed. Because Paul says in Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And the definition for conform is to comply with, to behave according to socially acceptable conventions or standards, makes us more like the world. And that's what Satan's lies are trying to do. He doesn't really want us to be like him. He just doesn't want us to be like God. He's trying to trick us and lie to us and our desires and play into them so that we do love the world and do not love the Father. And it's always a slow process. It never happens immediately. As we look, like the way that Satan... Um, tempted Eve, he didn't put a gun to her head and said, eat the fruit or I'll kill you. No, he played into something and twisted the truth and said, did God really say that? As we'll see when he tempts Jesus, Satan knows his scripture. Satan uses lies that sound really good and that's how he does it. But his ultimate thing that he wants to do is to convince us to love the world more than we love God. One of my favorite movies in the world and this is really going to date me, is Hook. Anybody? Yes? We got a woo. I guess the rest of you haven't seen it because it's, it's in my top five for sure. So it is the story of Peter Pan after the fact. You have him played by Robin Williams, and he's like, he got fat, he became a lawyer, he's a really bad dad and a really bad husband, and he's very absent and Captain Hook is not done with him, you know, Peter Pan cut off his hand and fed it to the crocodile and he's still haunted by that to this day. So, Captain Hook wants to fight him and kill him once and for all. So, he goes and steals his kids. He brings from Neverland. He comes to our world from Neverland and goes and gets his kids and brings them back to bring Peter there and take the one thing that he loves and to try to kill him and fight him. The problem is is that again, Peter Pan forgot how to fly. He got fat. He doesn't even know who he is anymore. He has to be convinced. So Captain Hook gets all down and sad, and he's like, this isn't a war that I even wanna fight anymore. And then when he's talking to his little henchman, Mr. Smee, Smee looks at him and said, lightning has just struck my brain. Guys, I'm really good at remembering movie quotes. I wish I couldn't. <laughs> I could literally tell you the entire scene, but I'm not going to. But he looks at him and he says, Pan's kids, you could make them like you. And he's like, what are you talking about? Nobody likes Captain Hook. And he's like, you could make the little buggers love you. And I think of that, and that's literally the lie of the devil is to take things and twist. And that's what he does with Peter Pan's son, Jack, is he convinces him to be a pirate and tells him that he loves him and calls him son and perverts his mind into thinking that this guy really loves him more than his actual dad does. We all know that's not true. Captain Hook loses, it's a great movie, you should watch it. But that is, you know, that is the way Satan is working. He's just trying to convince us to love the world more than we love the Father. So we can be conformed, or the other option is be transformed. Supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, by the renewal of your mind, is what Paul says And from that verse, we learn that the battleground against the world, the battleground against our flesh and against Satan is held in our mind. The battleground is in our mind. And you can identify that quickly because if I was to ask you, if I could look in your mind and ask you, what do you love? I'm guessing it's what you think about all the time. That's a simple test to find out what you actually have affection for in this life is what you are thinking about. And that's why Satan uses deception, he uses lies, he uses craftiness and perversion. And he tempts us with things that are almost true. And the ultimate thing he wants us to do is to deceive us into trusting ourselves more than we trust God. He's playing to these desires that we've already started with. We all have these same desires, and he knows it. And he knows how to tempt us and to lie to us and to make us feel like it's okay, everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? And he's trying to get us to trust our desires. He's trying to get us to trust our feelings, to try to get us to trust our emotions, to do you, to do whatever your heart is telling you, to live your truth, to love his love. He's trying to tell us all these things to make us trust that more than we trust God's word. And it always starts with, did God actually say? So one thing I, I want us to try to do, and I've been practicing it this week, is trying to stop and identify the lie whenever there's temptation, whenever something comes about, when stuff happens in life, to identify the lie, to stop and literally ask like, well, what's happening? Some of the ones, I don't know if they resonate with you from the desires of the flesh. I know you're full, but you had a hard day. That second carton of Ben and Jerry's will cheer you up. (laughs) Or, hey, you've been arguing with your spouse a lot. Don't you think you'd be happier with somebody else? I can't believe they did that to you. You should write them off. And I bet if you told all your friends and gossiped about them, you'd feel relief. What's the big deal if I sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend? That's an outdated rule anyway. Just one more drink. That'll help you take your mind off things. This show isn't really that bad. So-and-so watches it. What's the big deal? Or wow, she's pretty. Take another look. It's no big deal. No one will know. Those desires of the flesh. Desires of the eyes. Corey, if you buy that fourth bass guitar, you'd be very happy. It would really cement the collection, you'd be satisfied with your guitars, which is always a lie. Your favorite guitar is always the next one, just saying. If you get that house, you'll be happy. If only you had that car, you would really impress them. If you wear that, then people will like you. Your iPhone's from last year, don't you want people to respect you? Or Pride of Life, uh, don't, I don't need to listen to advice. You're smarter than they are. Uh, I can't let them get away with that. That might make me look weak. Or look at everything you did all by yourself. Is it really unethical? It'll help you climb the ladder. Or you know plenty of the Bible. You sure you need to go to church again? Pride of life. And now we all know these are lies. Everything I said is a lie. And we all know that because I guarantee we've all tried them and we're still not satisfied. We've tried all of those things and we're still left wanting because these are lies pretending to be the truth, lies that cannot deliver on the happiness that they are promising that they offer. And John tells us another reason why. In verse 17, it says this, and the world is passing away along with its desires. So not only is the world in our flesh lying to us, but it's dying. The world and its desires are corroding, they're decaying, they're failing. And anything that fails is weak, right? Anything that is failing is weak. So here's a question. Have you stopped lately to address the weakness of your sin? Have you just stopped and asked about the weakness of the world and the desires to take account of the times that it's let you down? Like how many times have you walked away from the same sin over and over and walked away again with shame, with regret, with self-loathing, with unhappiness, the exact opposite of all the things it promised. How many times have you done that? How many times do we stop and ask? And the answer is rarely. And the reasons why is because our natural instinct of our emotions and of our desires is to just move on to the next lie to try to get the happiness that the last one failed to give us. We just keep moving on and on and on. But do not love the world, John says. He's pleading with us as a spiritual father. Do not love the world, it is passing away. So before we look at how we can battle the world and our flesh, we need to identify one more thing that the desires in the world are not. Verse 16, for all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Uh, And it's really important, in verse 17, John says God, but not here. In verse 16, John says Father. And I think that's really, really important for us to notice that he calls him Father here. And we're all in here because we either have or had a father, whatever that looks like, which means that a, a father is a man who gives life, who procreates and makes life. A father protects. A father provides. A father is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A father is compassionate. A father empowers. A father teaches. A father weeps when his children are in pain. A father fights for his family. A father ultimately wants what is best for his children, right? Right? And now I know a lot of people in this room, that list does not talk about your father. You might not even have one. He might have abandoned you and left you and your mom and didn't pay child support. He might have been abusive emotionally or physically. He might have put you down and told you everything that you are not. Your father might have been horrible or just completely absent. But the good news about this is from a book called Delighting in the Trinity, which I cannot recommend the book highly, more highly. Um, But this quote says this, one's heart goes out to the children of such fathers. And those of us who are fathers, ourselves know that we too are far from perfect. But God the Father is not called father because he copies earthly fathers. What a great hope and promise that me on my best day, The most patient dad with CJ and Maggie, I'm well slept. They do anything wrong. and I'm like, it's okay. Like I know how to parent properly in the moment. I'm loving, I'm encouraging, I'm protecting, I'm providing. On my best day, I am showing my children what God the Father kinda looks like. Like he is so far above and more perfect and more good and more loving than I am ever capable of being. He's not copying me. I'm copying him, hopefully. And that's the father that we have. And that's the father. And it's really important that we think about that when we're told not to love the world. Because God the father is good. He's holy. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. And he won't leave. He is love. So the world and its desires are contrary to the father, which means if he is love, these things of the world are not love, which is why they're fleshly desires in the first place is because there's no love. Love is left out of it. It is self, self-fulfilling, it is self-fulfilling. It is not giving out of love. It's not from him. Paul says in Galatians five seventeen, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, honestly are contrary to God. So what is from God? What does this father have to offer? Galatians 5:22 and 23, and I'm sure you know this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It sounds pretty good. It sounds like somebody I'd like to hang out with. And what we see here is that we live in a world that's preaching self-indulgence more than ever. Like, live however you want to do. Do not, and anyone who tells you not to do that is against you, and they are being condemned. We live in a world that is preaching self-indulgence, but we are called here to self-control, the exact opposite, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So let's ask this question, how do we fight? If we're against this desire that we all have, if we're against the evil one, if we're against the world, how do we fight? How do we run the race? How do we stand firm in the faith? How do we resist the devil so that he will flee from you? And the one way we do that is we look to Jesus Christ. Matthew 4, we're going to look at how Jesus was tempted by the devil. Verses 1 through 11. And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. So what did Jesus do here? First thing that we see that he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and he begins to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know fasting... uh, when we talk about fasting, or you've done a Daniel fast or anything like that, um, sometimes people think fasting can be, you know, social media or TV or something or fasting internet. Uh, but it's different than fasting food. Um, because if I don't eat food, I die. If I stop using Instagram, I'm, it's, I'm here. I'm fine. That's just deprivation, which is good to do. But here we see if we're fighting our flesh, Fasting with food is a literal reminder to you and your body that you need something to survive. And you're telling God, instead of doing that, I'm giving you all my focus. So a lot of times when we look at this, when it says Jesus was hungry, we think of Jesus being at his weakest point. But Jesus on day one was far weaker spiritually than he was on day 40, because he had no distractions, no worldly inputs, he was living by the spirit, and he was making his flesh submit to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. The next thing he did is we know that he identified the lies that, Jesus, or that Satan was coming at him. Do you like how Satan started all three of these? If you're the son of God, just playing to the pride. Hey, like, you know you need to prove to me that you're the son of God. But Jesus identified the lies, and we know that he did that because he immediately quoted scripture back at Satan directly at the lies he was feeding him. Jesus thought about something else. Jesus had scripture in his mind. So as we look to Jesus, we have to know, like desire is real, and I'm not up here to tell you that if you do this, this, and this, your desire will go away. But I hate to tell you, we're gonna struggle with the flesh and with sin and desire until we meet Jesus in heaven. It is a thing that we are going to struggle. So I'm not saying that'll go away, but I am saying that we can think about something else when temptation comes. Again, this battle is in our mind. So, I want to encourage you, like whenever temptations you're struggling with, whatever the lies are coming to, find a verse to combat it. And that might sound simple, but it's so true. We need to be constantly renewing our mind. Remember, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we can do that through Scripture, through the power of Scripture, because it's what Jesus did. So, Let me tell you about my week, it's been crazy. So I knew I was preaching and I don't know what's going on. Every time I preach, stuff happens. Um, So Monday night, um, we eat, um, I put CJ to bed uh, and I go on a run. And about halfway through it, I realize something's not right, I'm sick. So I go home, I'm in bed Tuesday and Wednesday, like can't do anything and sick, can't eat, exhausted, And I'm literally like, just kind of like comically laughing. Um, And knowing that this battle for my mind coming up is already taking place. Then Thursday rolls around, I wake up, I'm feeling good. And I'm like, awesome, I'm gonna go work on my sermon. So I get up early, I start doing that. Um, I have like an office in our garage. When we bought our house, there's an office in there. So I worked from home, I'm doing great. Um, And then at 10 o'clock, my son CJ falls off the couch and breaks his arm. Yes, I should have showed you a picture, but it did not break my man's confidence even a little bit. We're like, he got his cast on and he's just like leaning in the, in the doctor's office. So he's okay. But the lies start happening already in my head of things and thoughts so like, oh, Corey, if you'd been there, you wouldn't have fallen. Like if you were there, would your son have broken his arm? Or like, or where was where your wife? Like, do you need to have a conversation? Like, where was she? Or if, if only, like, shouldn't you have carpet? You have tile in your house. Like, are you even a good parent? Like, all these little things coming into my head that I'm realizing, uh, but then I realized that this battle of my mind is happening. And then thankfully, and praise the Lord, uh, he intervened on my behalf. Because in my weakest point, I'm still tired and haven't eaten food and not feeling great on Thursday. And now I'm going to the ER. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my son, and I just hear God reminding me like, praise the Lord it wasn't worse. Praise the Lord he is okay. Praise the Lord I have an ER I can get to in 15 minutes. Praise the Lord my son's arm is gonna heal and he's going to be okay. Like praise the Lord for my wife and for our house. Praise the Lord for our couch that he fell off of. Like there's, it's a battle of our mind that happens. So every time, and the biggest one is every time I preach, Especially on Sunday mornings, Satan comes at me with the highlight reel of every sin I've ever done. And just telling me like, Corey, who do you think you are? Like that you stand up there and read God's word and teach people. Like, don't you remember what you've done? Like, and you feel worthy to do that? Who do you think you are? And my verse that has been for years and years and years, I just quote uh, Romans eight, one and two. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So if you see me talking to myself on the front row, I'm literally quoting that to myself until I get up here. But it is a lie and it is true. I'm not worthy to be up here, but that's the beauty of the gospel. Nobody is. I have Jesus's imputed righteousness because I am a child of God and he's empowered me to do something that I shouldn't do. And it's a reminder like, yeah, buddy, stay humble. You shouldn't be up here. You are sinful, you do have desires. You struggle with the same things over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But I wanna ask you, what are you struggling with? And what verse could you have? If it's anxiety, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Is it lust? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Is it greed? For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Is it gluttony? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is why we read our Bible. This is why we meditate on Scripture. This is why we memorize Scripture. This is why, as a church, we did 21 days of prayer. Not only is there power in prayer, but we're trying to collectively remind ourselves that we need healthy daily rhythms of prayer and doing things that make us look to Jesus, to empower us to make disciples, but also to empower us for when temptation comes, because this is living in active. And as Jesus pointed out to us, it is sufficient to win the battle if we can turn our mind to it, because temptation always comes knocking. And another thing, Jesus is good. I want you to notice three things about the way that Jesus was tempted by the devil. When Jesus was hungry, Satan told him to turn these stones into bread, desire of the flesh. Satan told him to bow down and get all the kingdoms and all the possessions and all the money and everything in them, desires of the eyes. Jesus wants you to throw yourself down and have your angels get you in front of everybody in Jerusalem, the pride of life. What a spectacle Jesus would have been. What a celebrity, did you see that guy? He had angels come save him when he was falling. Jesus knows how we were tempted. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus knows our temptations. Jesus knows our desires. Jesus knows our flesh. And he knows our enemy. That's the beauty of Jesus being fully God and fully man. Fully man means he knows the desires that we're going through. He was tempted Yet without sin. And remember, I know that this is hard because we all sin this side of heaven. But a couple weeks ago, reminder in 1 John chapter 2, it says this My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Galatians 5, 24 says, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I used to read that verse as like crucify the flesh of like, Cory, stop being Cory. But as we identified, the flesh is sinful desire that is anti-God. I'm called to crucify that. Called to crucify those things the way that Jesus is asking me to. Because ultimately, and this is why we sin, is we're, we're believing something else will make us more happy. But Jesus is calling us to freedom. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, as red blooded Americans in here, when we hear the word freedom, freedom means don't you dare tell me what to do. It's that libertarian fight we have in us, which is a good thing that don't tread on me But at the same time, that freedom is a freedom, it's a negative freedom, it's a freedom from something oppressive. But Jesus is calling us to a positive freedom, a freedom to something else, a freedom to live a different way, a freedom that requires self-control, but on the other side, it is love and service and sacrifice, and it is fulfilling. Jesus came to serve. And that question is, are we gonna trust Jesus or are we gonna trust ourselves, which is what Satan has tried to do because Jesus offers satisfaction. Proverbs 3, five through eight, we've all, we all know the first couple verses here. You can probably quote it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Jesus came to serve and to lay his life down for me and for you. And that was the will of the Father. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of the God abides forever. And that's really, this whole purpose of this book is that you may know. Whoever does the will of God will abide forever in eternity in heaven with the Father. And that's our promise of eternity. And that promise, man, if That's the thing I pray about all the time is Lord, give me an eternal perspective. That promise should dictate my thoughts and my actions more than it does. And so we ask, well, what's the will of the Father? How do I know if I'm doing the will of the Father? We all know the Lord's prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The will of the Father is bringing heaven to earth. The will of the Father is for us to act and to live in a way where we know what heaven will be, where sin and pain and death and tears and corruption and Satan are passed away forever. And we live in perfect unity, fully satisfied at the right hand of the Father. In your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When we live that truth out, now we bring a little bit of heaven to earth and that's the will of the Father. That's what Jesus did. Romans 12, two goes on to tell us that that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. The will of God is perfect. Galatians 5, 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Crucifying the flesh sacrificial love that is outward. It's a freedom to serve other people the way Jesus did. That's the will of the Father. So as we close, I wanna invite you to stand today. Um, And before we sing, these altars are gonna be open, but what is the thought? What is the temptation? What's the lie that is constantly popping in your mind? Like what's the one that just got there right now? I wanna invite you to come to this altar and leave it there or to confess a sin that you know needs to be confessed. Because if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your unrighteousness. Ask the spirit to renew your mind today. A lot of the verses that came to mind, like he will will help us. The Holy Spirit is in us, indwelling us, empowering us. And again, this is not a tug of war that we're thinking we're gonna lose. We have the Holy Spirit who is greater than Satan, who's greater than the world, is greater than our desire and we need to live like it. We are more than conquerors is what Paul tells us. So today, what is that lie that's coming into your mind and maybe you need to leave it on the altar. But today, I wanna invite you to come and worship our Father and leave it at the altar. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the hope that you give us. And Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your You're modeling what it looks like to be tempted. And Lord, what it looks like to combat all of this with scripture. So Lord, help us, empower us. Help us to not live in defeat and help us to know that you have overcome this world, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.